people are walking in the desert. A pattern has caught my attention that sees similar answers to common questions that I believe is unique to the times of the church. Which church are you going to? We're in the desert right now. How's your ministry? We're in the desert. How's the family life? We're getting scorched. The desert or the wilderness, as the Bible often describes, is, is a harsh, uncomfortable place to sojourn. So I guess this will be more pastoral than usual. But if that's you, I want to encourage you to embrace this season. We find ourselves in the desert often soon after we start following Jesus. The nation of Israel began their journey of salvation, not in a land flowing with milk and honey, but in the desert. My brother Nikolai puts it this way, we should not say, when did you get saved? But rather, when was the end of the world for you? The crossing of the Red Sea was the end of the Egyptian world for the Israelites, but now they faced real challenges in the desert wilderness. When you come to Jesus, expect to follow in his footsteps of being misunderstood, mocked, isolated, tempted, dwelling in harsh conditions only to carry a cross. But remember, as a new creation in Christ, the world is dead to you, which means we should never point someone in the direction of the desert without strapping on a backpack and appropriate footwear. Do not tell them they're heading to Disneyland because when the bus drops them off in the desert and they're dressed for Splash Mountain with a vegan packed lunch and a selfie stick in hand, after day two, they're gonna be annoyed at you and attach themselves to anyone and anything that provides comfort in the scorching sun. Later in our walk with Jesus, we can find ourselves back in the desert. And it could be because you left the community you were part of, or, or perhaps you're part of a community, but you felt increasingly more isolated. And maybe you didn't see it coming at all. You cannot put your finger on it, but here you are. Jesus would, from time to time, uh, seek a temporal desert place during his ministry. And that may also be you and you know why you're in that place, but it's those that have found themselves suddenly alone that I primarily direct this to. Our response of being found in the desert can lead one of two ways. We fall hard for the golden calf, or we fall harder for the one worthy of worship. Now, the Israelites, they didn't just find a golden idol and switch gods in a heartbeat. In Exodus 32, it begins with questioning. We read, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. And for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the, the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation saying, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. 
And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. There's nothing wrong with questioning where God is. What am I doing here? It's when we assume that no leaders will ever return, that this state of isolation is permanent, and so we seek leadership from false gods. It's when we decide to up and take control ourselves, and then we fashion the little we have into dishonorable objects of our making. We then pledge allegiance to our pathetic works, build an altar for them, offering our sacrifices, and continue eating and drinking and playing in the sand like disobedient children. Now you say, well, I'm not waiting for my leader like Moses to return from the mountain, melting down my jewelry and casting it into a golden calf. I would never do that. Have you ever displayed the little that you have, taken a selfie of it, put a shiny filter over it with words elevating your status and dance for joy when you see the number of likes rising? Have you ever had food in the fridge? but you click a button to have more food arrive to your door, even though according to you, you are tight for money and all because your desire is to honor the God of your belly. We don't even need objects to do this. Have you ever created a fantasy in your own mind, honoring the God of lust, hanging it on the walls of your imagination? Local shepherds can't see me now, you say. And as for the good shepherd, where is the promise of his coming? When we are lacking good and present shepherds, if we're not careful, it can lead to lack of faith in the good shepherd. Little oversight to disciple us can mean little self-discipline. We don't make time for prayer and the study of his word. Our new nature begins to mirror our dry surroundings. We start to believe that the living waters of refreshment have to be beaten out of a rock. Our grumbling turns into bitterness, envy, and violent expressions of anger. And rather than remembering the waters that he led you through, the Pharaoh that he saved you from, the vows that you made to him, you create a God in your own image and you dance proudly towards the bottomless pit. Now, the alternative is that we fall harder for the one worthy of worship, our true sustainer. We recognize the brokenness that first led us to reach for our saviour. And now is the time to reach once more for our sustainer, our provider, deliverer. We learn patience knowing we are placed where God wants us. We honour God with the little that we have been given. We recognise the woven path of suffering before glory. We cut out the things that defile the camp. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. We either fashion our own idols or we allow God to fashion us. Now, how does God respond and recall our time in the desert? It can feel as though we're the only ones in the desert. And if we're not careful, even when we're walking faithfully in the desert with God, our pride can kick in. No one understands what I'm going through. Am I the only one left? Am I the last one with the correct doctrine? <laughs> Am I the only soul with a heart for God? And it's understandable when we look around at the collapse of culture, 
and how mainstream church is folding to it. But along with that observation and a jealousy for the Lord can be this sense that Elijah felt, that no one was left but I. And God responded by saying, there are 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. There are many more like you in the desert being prepared. Know that. Take John the Baptist. Did his ministry begin small and grow to great numbers before retiring in a comfortable pension? No, he preached repentance and many came to hear, but it doesn't bring about the national change he was calling for. His anointing was to prepare the way for Messiah and they corporately rejected him. Do you think John may have felt downhearted at times? Later, when he's put in prison, even though he knew Jesus was the Messiah, he has his, his moment of doubt, sending messages to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who is to come? John must have been going through some tough times. This wasn't the glorious end of his ministry that he, he dreamed of, that I dreamed of. Being called to preach a message does not mean they will listen. Our task is to be obedient in delivering the message, not to convert crowds. The picture we sometimes invent in our minds of how our ministry will look is far from the anointed path that God has in mind. And it's not because God doesn't want to use you mightily. On the contrary, it's because you are much more effective through faithfulness in the small things than driving an unrefined empire. How many of us I've dreamt of having a ministry like Jeremiah. Years of preaching and nobody listening. Yet we rightly look at Jeremiah and John as having incredibly successful ministries. It is here in the desert that God strips us back to test, disciple and prepare us. He tests us, not tempts, he tests us. How do we respond when our ministry is stagnant or even shrinking? How do we respond when the daily grind is just that? God is testing our response and his response to us in the desert is providing a covering, food, water, the basic yet miraculous means of surviving. It feels like survival, but to God is dwelling with him apart from the world. He disciples us in the desert and direct discipleship from the Lord sounds exciting until we learn true discipleship means discipline also. The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. The desert is the place he will forge your character. It's too easy to think, if only Jesus was my local pastor, if he was, we would be in for a shock. The tables in your house would be flipped. And this is why he gives local covering. Parents over children, husbands over the family, elders over the church and so forth. Yes, they are fallible, but when these are removed, your covering becomes kindness and severity. God's kindness is beyond any earthly covering, but equally, his judgment, both temporal and ultimate, is severe. God is jealous for you. So if you're flirting with other gods, you will be clothed in frustration and despair. Desert life doesn't mean you're not ministering to others, by the way. The desert doesn't mean cutting yourself off from every soul in the world. John the Baptist ministered to a bunch of disciples in the desert, and discipling them would no doubt form an aspect of his own preparation. 
the saying is true that only when you teach something do you really start to understand it. God prepares us in the desert for entering a new land in maturity. Now that may mean digging down, relaying foundations before building above ground. One observation I will make is that today there are many little versions of an original. Many heading into leadership, they mirror their favourite leader's voice or sayings, even the mannerisms, but they're only ever a cheap mass production of the original. The desert is a place to strip off the mask and be exposed, allowing God to form unique personalities, each with their own anointing. Your voice, not someone else's voice, will be found in the desert. Hearing his voice culminates in receiving your voice, an authentic voice, and that voice will be unique, but it will be in line with the Old Testament prophets, just as John the Baptist's was. The desert is a place to commune with God. How can you hear his voice when you're distracted by the world? He must draw you to the quiet desert. Crowds are enticing, but the fire burns in the desert. Prayer is mastered in the desert, not in church gatherings. The stars burn brighter in the desert and the person of God more vivid. Now, I can honestly say that my personal time in the desert has meant soaking in God's word like never before, understanding the riches of his mysteries, building a biblical framework that would never have occurred in the crowds. I've experienced the Lord most powerfully stripping wallpaper at home in isolation. You'll never forget those desert moments. If you're in the desert wilderness, then you are in good company. Moses and Elijah were forged in the desert. John the Baptist spent decades in the desert just for six months of ministry. Jesus refused to submit to Satan in the desert, which would set up his ministry. Now eventually God may respond by going before you to a promised land. Milk and honey are the first things that may spring to mind. I get to live back in that self-absorbed luxury, right? If that's your thought, then you're probably not ready to leave the desert. For Israel, leaving the desert to enter the promised land meant battles to be had, wisdom to be drawn on, the execution of proper priestly function. God is not boring you in the desert to release you like an addict into a liquor store. He is creating a new you that will live out that new person no matter where God places them. He's not preparing you to give you a microphone or a promotion or a spouse. He's forming a unique person he can use for his purposes in whichever context he chooses. The Old Testament prophets, prophets they, they led lives which were their message. Their lives were their message. The desert is not our path, it's our calling. If you view it as your path, then you will always be looking for a way out. Do not wish the time away. God is both urgent and patient. He is not preparing you exclusively to minister to others, but to minister to him. In the desert, your ministry is primarily unto the Lord. He will prepare you your entire life so that you can minister to him for eternity in his future kingdom. He will patiently nurture and sustain urgency in the setting of the desert so that his new creation is soaked in urgency, unlike the efficiency of the world, but like the slowness counted by the creator of time. In urgency, we produce people and parts that don't last the test of time. 
Consumerism has bled into the church, producing polished leaders whose batteries fail a couple of years in. Casting a piece of metal is a quick method to achieve the form that you desire. You pour liquid metal into a mold and then cool it down. Now, in God's urgency, he prefers the method of forging us. And this is at least how I understand it from an engineering background. Forging is a much slower process. It means heating up of a metal, not to liquefy it, but to soften it just enough to make it malleable. And then a huge machine drops what's called a power hammer onto it over and over as the metal is turned, shaping it and what's called work hardening it. And the result is a product that looks identical to that of the casted shape. However, in the process of forging, the internal grain texture deforms to follow the general shape of the part. And as a result, the texture variation is continuous throughout the part, giving rise to a piece with improved strength characteristics. And this longer squeezing process produces a character that does not just look the part, but is deeply aligned with its purpose of creation, therefore able to withstand the clashes ahead. Now to comprehend biblical urgency, we must comprehend the enormity of the challenge ahead to endure. If we truly understood the battle appointed for us, we may be more content sharpening our sword in the desert. Now, how does God view your time in the desert? For the Israelites, it was a tough season of 40 years, testing, discipling, purifying. The first generation even died in the desert bar too. But know that in those times of disorientation, isolation and grief, God speaks tenderly to us as the days of our spiritual youth. Hosea reveals how God recalls his time with Israel in the desert as a time of early romance, really beginning to know each other. Jeremiah 2 reveals, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Far from God seeing it as a time of tough love, it's the young love of a couple who have recently gotten engaged. It may be that the desert is, is difficult for you because of the perspective of men looking on, but remember God's perspective. This is a time that he has longed to camp out with you. Now the time is coming when God will mature his bride. He will lead Israel back into the desert again, literally. He must also lead the Gentile church into the spiritual desert. Preparation for the return of the bridegroom must begin now. What are we prepared to lay down in the desert? Are we prepared to lay down our ministries? Or is our branding, our name, our reputation, is that more important? Are we prepared to lay down our lives? Do we know what it means to pick up your cross? There's a piece of dry wood in the desert with your name on. What does successful ministry look like? In the case of John the Baptist, his head on a platter, that's the only time he left the desert, by the way. His preaching was still in the wilderness of Judea. He didn't reach for the crowds of Jerusalem. Embrace the preparation of the desert. We can sacrifice to our own golden calf, or we can worship the lamb who was sacrificed on our behalf. Before putting you on display, the Lord must hide you in the desert. When you entered the desert, you first looked around for the road out. 
But when you get to the point that nothing else matters but hearing the sweet whispers of the Lord, then you are nearing ready. Feast on the scriptures, commune with God by the Spirit, relish camping out with the Lord, embrace the preparation of the desert. If you're going round in circles wondering, where am I at right now? A helpful question to ask yourself is this, what is the most important description of who you are? Are letters or numbers involved? Is it how many friends or followers you have? Is it your title? Who are you to man? Who are you to God? The desert should prepare your identity like that of Elijah and John, as a man who stands before the Lord. When God has finished with me, I hope those words will come out of my mouth. I will leave you with Paul's words to the Galatians. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't grow weary, don't give up, the harvest will come. I encourage you to embrace the preparation of the desert.